American sports media may be on the cusp of one of the biggest changes in its history. We'll have that, plus a conversation about the fastest growing sport in America. It's Friday, February 17th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. For the last few years, we've had this uneasy relationship between regional sports networks and MLB, the NHL, and the NBA. RSNs became the dominant way that people watched their local teams starting in the 90s, and the production, investments, and the rights that teams and leagues can charge were built around a world with a large and growing number of American households subscribing to cable. And as we've touched on here, if you subscribe to cable, you're helping to fund the RSNs on there and every single other channel, regardless of what you actually watch. That huge benefit to RSNs has now turned into a massive problem, as more and more people cancel their cable subscriptions. From 2015 to 2021, the percentage of U.S. adults who subscribe to cable dropped from 76% to 56%, according to Pew. This year, that number could go below 50%. And that is the short version of why Diamond Sports Group, which owns the 19 Valley Sports Networks, missed a $140 million interest payment this month and will likely go bankrupt. That interest payment is so huge because as of September 30th, Diamond had $8.7 billion in debt. How did that happen? Well, Sinclair made a massive miscalculation when they bought Diamond from Disney in 2019 for $10.6 billion. A little baffling. The trend here was pretty clear in 2019. So the missed interest payment triggers a 30-day window in which Diamond can negotiate with creditors and leagues, and we are in that window now. The next domino to fall is likely to be Diamond failing to pay MLB teams for their local rights, and what happens from there was a major topic of discussion when MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred addressed the media on Wednesday. We are prepared, no matter what happens um, with respect to Diamond, uh, to make sure the games are available to fans in their local markets. Um, we think we think it will be both linear in the traditional cable bundle and digitally um, on our own platforms, um, but that remains to be seen. As he went on to explain, every team has a provision in its contract where they can terminate the deal if Diamond misses a payment. And given that Diamond owes close to a billion dollars in rights payments this quarter, mostly to MLB teams, that seems very likely. What happens next would be that MLB would step in to produce the broadcasts of the 14 teams that Diamond can't pay and negotiate with cable companies on how much they will pay to have those games on their networks. There are two elements of this I want to highlight. One I find exciting, the other I find confusing and a little worrying. The exciting part is that this seems likely to lead to the end of streaming blackouts for at least the 14 affected teams here. Since MLB.TV launched, if you subscribe, you can watch any game as long as it wasn't on a national broadcast or a local broadcast. So I live in the Bay Area. I can watch any game through MLB.TV except ones involving the Giants and A's, which was not the most convenient thing when I was covering the Giants and A's a few years ago, but I made it work. MLB knows this sucks, and Diamond's likely bankruptcy is going to hurt teams financially in the short term, but it will give them a path to solving this problem. When you look at MLB.TV, you'd go in, you could buy your out-of-market package like you'd always have, but you'd have the option to buy up into in-market games had before, which I see as a huge improvement for fans. That's the exciting part. The worrying part is that unless Manfred is hiding the ball on some details here, which I do not get the sense that he was, 
MLB hasn't actually begun negotiating with cable companies on a price for local broadcasts if and when Diamond can't pay. And maybe there are contractual reasons for that, I don't know. Maybe there are, but he doesn't want to talk about it, and so he's acting like they're not. But the simplest interpretation here is that they are waiting for Diamond to officially miss their payments before beginning that process. If that process began today, that would give them just under six weeks before opening day on March 30th. But my guess would be that Diamond is going to stretch this out to near the end of their 30-day grace period to try to get as favorable a deal as they can, and that shrinks the window for MLB to figure out a whole new arrangement, which there won't really be precedent for, both because they want local broadcasts to not exclude streaming rights, and also because it's not necessarily easy to price local cable broadcasts when subscriptions are dropping every single quarter. And I don't want to put too much on my own poker reads of Manfred, but he seems very confident that fans will be able to watch games without missing a beat, and also not especially worried about the tight timeline here. Maybe that means there's already most of a deal in place, or maybe MLB is going to be in a really dicey situation in about five weeks. We shall see. Let's see what else is happening out there. The Chicago Bears have closed on their purchase of the 326-acre Arlington Park property for $197.2 million. The plan is to build a stadium plus housing, retail, office space. Arlington is a town just to the northwest of Chicago, and they would almost certainly keep the name Chicago Bears if they do in fact move there. The city is still trying to keep them, but unless there is some serious resistance from Arlington, it looks like the Bears will migrate sometime this decade. Lionel Messi has rejected a contract renewal offer from Paris Saint-Germain and is reportedly open to returning to Barcelona, though he might want to see how that whole referee payment investigation shakes out first. Check out yesterday's episode on that if you missed it, it's a doozy. Or, he's open to coming to the US. It's something he said in the past that he's interested in doing before he retires. We can also count on him getting a comically large offer from a team in Saudi Arabia. And 2022 is officially the biggest year in history for U.S. sports betting. That's not a surprise, but the numbers themselves are still pretty incredible. Commercial sports betting revenue hit $7.5 billion in the U.S. on $93.2 billion in bets. Those numbers are up a respective 73% and 61% from 2021. Up next, pickleball is suddenly the most unstoppable force in U.S. sports. I spoke to Tyson McGuffin, who is one of the top professional players in the world, on what it has been like to ride that wave. We'll have that conversation right after this. Two thousand, two thousand eight, twenty twenty-two. When it comes to the economy, those are some scary years. Dot-com crash, housing crash, and the roller coaster we're going through right now. One thing is certain, it's a dangerous time to not know your numbers. But over 31,000 businesses have the confidence and clarity they need because they rely on NetSuite by Oracle, the number one cloud financial system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, and budgeting so you can manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need all in one place. So, how do you prepare for uncertain times? The answer, NetSuite. NetSuite helps you identify rising costs, automate your business processes, and easily see where to save money. That's why 93% of customers say they improved their visibility and control when they upgraded to NetSuite. What are you waiting for? Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash frontoffice right now. netsuite.com slash frontoffice. netsuite.com slash frontoffice. 
All right, I'm joined today by one of the top pickleball players in the world, Tyson McGuffin. How's it going, Tyson? Oh, and what's going on, brother? Yeah, great to have you. So our listeners, I think, are at least somewhat familiar with the pickleball phenomenon, but I think the idea of a professional pickleball player is still a little bit foreign to some people. So how did you get into this? How did you become, you know, a, a pickleball player and, you know, one of the top in the world? I definitely never thought I would be in the position that I am now. That's for sure, Owen. Um, but uh, played some high. Actually, grew up as a wrestler. Uh, grew up in Central Washington, a place called Lake Chelan. Grew up as a wrestler. Found tennis at the age of fourteen. Fell in love with it. Played junior college tennis. Played some uh, higher level tennis from then. Um, and then in two thousand sixteen, uh, I was teaching tennis at a uh, tennis club in Central Washington. And one of my members uh, asked me to play pickleball. And I ended up showing up to a local YMCA. Everybody there was about 70 plus. And uh, I think I was 26 at the time. I was definitely not one over uh, then and there. But uh, after about three months of playing and kind of uh, getting introduced to some younger players and kind of realizing that there was a pro tour, I fell in love with the camaraderie, fell in love with the family oriented feel, fell in love with how embracing it was, and, and really fell in love with how it was a fresh breath of air from tennis. And I wasn't, I wasn't halfway too bad. Uh, and now here I am eight years later, uh, pickleball has totally taken off. Uh, we have all these big wig team owners that have bought teams like LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Drew Brees. Uh, that's with major league pickleball. And now we have an established tour called the PPA tour. And I'm sponsored by one of the best paddle companies out there called Selkirk sport. And, uh, no, man, it's been a, it's been an awesome ride. Pickleball is kind of funny in that it got popular among the older crowd first and has kind of filtered its way down to, to younger people, not necessarily the way you, you think of sports as going. Um, so, yeah, pickleball is obviously, as you alluded to, it's it's really taken off in the last couple of years. Now it's like I can barely leave my house without seeing, you know, you know, walking by a park and seeing someone play pickleball. Yeah. How, how have you seen it take off through your eyes? Yeah, I think, you know, just... Uh... You know, when I when I first started, uh, I was getting, you know, product sponsors from, you know, some of these brands. And I was just so happy to get like free product. You know, I'm, I'm, I was paying for entry fees. The prize money was very little and nobody was getting any appearance fees. And now here we are eight years later. It's on TV. There's big brands jumping in. Now I'm definitely not getting product sponsors. We're, we're getting, you know, nice, nice chunky deals. Uh, and actually, like this is the first year in, in the eight years that I played where I'm a full-time pickleball player. I also own a camp business. I have a podcast. I have a pretty established YouTube channel with a bunch of educational videos. But for the last like, seven years, I've really been building my businesses up, you know, doing anywhere from 30 to 50 camps per year. And, uh, you know, now here we are where I can, I can make just playing professional pickleball. So we're, we're very blessed. And, um, yeah, I mean, shoot, you know, seven years ago, I was teaching 60 hours, uh, 60 hours a week of tennis. Um, you know, working Monday through Thursday, flying out Thursday night for a tournament, playing Friday through Sunday, flying home Sunday night, and then kind of doing it all over again. So my life is very different. And uh, yeah, man, I'm just I'm just happy to be uh, along this ride. <clears throat> is the pickleball community one where you feel like you kind of know all the main people right now? Or, or is it uh, getting too expansive for that? Yeah, no, the uh, tennis world is pretty small. The pickle world is even smaller kind of a fun, funny story like all my old tennis buddies like when I first started playing pickleball were giving me a hard time right and they were like yeah you know pickleball is it's just kind of like a rinky dink sport it's for older people and now here we are and all my ex-tennis buddies that used to give me 
give me a bunch of, you know, grief is now playing high level pickleball. And it's funny, like I'm, I'm seeing the same cycle of people that I, that I did in tennis. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I would say it's very small. Uh, now obviously like the sports growing at a rapid rate and, uh, pretty cool. Like now we're starting to see some of these really high end tennis players coming in and playing professional pickleball guy named Sam query. Sam query was like my hero growing up. Like I used to watch Sam query, you know, play professional tennis. He, he, he was ranked as high as number eight in the world, made the semifinals of Wimbledon. I actually recently had Sam, Sam query on my podcast. And now here he is playing on the same tour that I am. So I, I, I think there's only going to be more high level professional tennis players coming in. Uh, another guy by the name of Jack Sock. Jack Sock was ranked as high as I, I believe like number seven in the world in singles. Uh, and uh, it looks like come 2024, he's going to make his way over as well. So great time to be in the sport, brother. Yeah, I could see the the field getting, you know, pretty fierce pretty quickly as it moves from more of a kind of a curiosity, uh, you know, something that people are just discovering now to something where, you know, 18 year old people who like could be, you know, could go for tennis, could also go for pickleball and maybe pursue, pursue both and see where they break through. Um, you know, we, we might be starting to get some like really heavy hitting athletes coming in. Very much so. I, I think the level of, I mean, like the, like the level of athlete in the last year and a half has gotten so much more, uh, so much more advanced, you know, like they're getting younger, they're stronger. And uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a different type of athlete coming in. And the cool thing about this sport too, is that it's like accessible to everyone, you know, like, um, I mean, you can be on a family vacation, nobody has any sort of racket sport ability, but you can hop on a pickleball court and, and like within five minutes, uh, you know, your, your grandkid, you know, your son and your grandparents could all have a, have a great time in a setting where they're all on the same court. So I, I think uh, it, it's really, it caters to all demographics. It caters to all levels. And I think that's why we're seeing the sport grow so fast, you know? And you, you mentioned how more money has been coming in. You got more sponsor money, more prize money. Um, how much room is there, do you think, for people to be professional pickleball players right now? Well, you know, I think the famous quote is, is that it's easy to get good. It's tough to get great. Make sure you tell John McEnroe that because McEnroe <laughs> was, was kind of giving Pickle a hard time. But, um, yeah, I, I think uh, I think it, def- it takes a certain amount of time and effort to get to the highest level. Um, but what's, what's, what's cool about the PPA Tour is that there's amateur events going on the same time as the pro events are going on. So, like, you know, as of now, there's not really – true spectators that are coming and watching the sport it's more so amateurs that are getting done with their events and then kind of watching on championship court or watching the pros play i would assume like in the next couple years uh you know maybe it's three years away where there's going to be pro only events there's going to be real spectators we're going to be playing in bigger stadiums and uh I, i think it's only heading in the right direction and speaking of which where would you like to see this sport go to reach the next level yeah, I think I think anybody in my position obviously wants to see it hit the Olympics. Uh, we want to see it uh, being a part of you know uh, college athletics. We want it in high schools. We want it in middle schools. And um, you know, I, I think the uh, sky's the limit with this thing. Yeah, and, and if someone is kind of hearing this, they're just kind of curious, wants to like get a sense of the sport, get a feel for it. What would you recommend someone do? Yeah, well, you know, uh, not to toot my own horn, but I uh, I teach camps nationwide. I have a camp business called Tyson, uh, called Tyson McGuffin Signature PB Camps. People can go to my website and then go to com. I also have a very established YouTube channel. It's called Tyson McGuffin Pickleball. But if you want to watch myself or watch the Pro Tour, uh, you can check out PPA Tour's uh, YouTube page 
or also PPA Tour is partnered up with a few different TV programs. One in particular is Tennis Channel. So, um, so yeah, or you know, you can you can get a hold of the governing body or go to the governing site, go to usapickleball.org and take a look at the tournament scene, what's going on in pickleball and what's being offered. Yeah, very cool. All right, Tyson McGovern, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh, and thank you, brother. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for listening. We have a mailbox, and I would love to hear your thoughts on the show. Hit us up at today at frontofficesports.com. I want your questions, comments, guest ideas, whatever else you've got, today at frontofficesports.com. Have a great weekend. We'll be off on Monday for the holiday, and I'll see you on Tuesday. <laughs>